Now, why in the world would we take time to talk about the name of Jesus or the names that he reveals, that reveals himself? Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a crowded place, been in a mall or, or something like that or auditorium, and you saw somebody, you saw the back, and you saw their form and, and the back of their head, and you thought that it was somebody that you knew. And, uh, but then you went up to them and you tapped them on the shoulder and they turned around and their face was revealed to you and it was like, oh, you're not who I thought it was. <laughs> and maybe some of you little kids have even done this as a little kid. You got lost in the grocery store or temporarily distracted and you went up and saw the back of someone's form and you went up and grabbed their hand thinking it was your mom or your dad and then realized, it's not, and then you take off running. Uh, there's something about the face that, that reveals, has more distinction to it, and tells us who a person is, and we can identify that. Well, a name is, is the same way, and that there's a name attached to that, and the names that God reveals about himself are like his face. It, it, it gives us the features, the distinctions, the different facets so that we can recognize him and know him. And why this is important is because Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 5, he says, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. For many will come in my name. It's happening. It's happening today. Some people are very blatant about it. Others are a little more deceptive about it. But it's something that we need to know. And so we need to become familiar with Jesus, uh, what he looks like. And we see what he looks like through his name. Uh, I don't know if some of you know um, uh, the Scully twins, Hazel and Isla. But I still have a hard time distinguishing who's who. Um, but Because uh, they, they, they're identical. But I'm, I'm beginning to recognize who's who because I'm getting to know their personalities, and their personalities are very different. And so in the same sense, there might be people that come and pose as Christ or say that I'm he, but they're just tricking you. And, you know, some of you may have met some twins in your life who tried that at school and tried uh, tricking people and, and that sort of thing. But really, we can know the difference because we can know the person of Christ. We can know his personality, again, through his name. So today, uh, this lion and lamb, these names, we, we need to look at a certain place in the scriptures uh, to talk about this uh, and, and, and where we see this. And it's in Revelation chapter 5. And it's in the book uh, of Revelation chapters 4 and 5 that we really get to peek behind the veil that separates our world and heaven. And with the Apostle John, we get a glimpse of what's happening around the throne of God. John describes someone on the throne. He describes the one on the throne as having the appearance of gemstones like uh, jasper and carnelian. And I'm not even sure what those stones really look like. And when I try to picture a, a being having the appearance, appearance of gemstones, that's very confusing to me. And around the throne is a rainbow resembling an emerald. 
How does that happen? I, I, those words are kind of confusing to me too. I don't know how to put them together, but this is the way he's describing it. It's encircling the throne. And before the throne, it looks like a sea of glass. Okay, starting to use some terms. I'm, I'm starting to grasp a little bit of that. Uh, lightning flashes from the throne and rumblings and peals of thunder are heard. You see, John is trying his best. He's using human words to describe heavenly things and describe what he saw and he can only tr- and we can only take those human words and try to put them together that they make some sort of sense in our brains but his picture starts getting clearer and around this great throne are 24 other smaller thrones with people sitting on them described as elders and they're wearing white all white, and the crowns of gold on their heads. And within this circle of 24 that surrounds the great throne are four living creatures. And each of these creatures has six wings. And there's wings that they're flying with, wings on their feet, wings uh, somewhere else. I can't remember where it describes it. The the scriptures are probably behind me. And and one uh, has the face of a man, one has the face of an eagle, one has the face of an ox, one has the face of a... Mm, can't remember. It's up there on the screens too. But anyway, all the, there's, and then all over these creatures are eyes. These are wild-looking creatures. This is like nothing we've ever seen on earth or in, in, in the paleontologist books or anything like it. These are totally different, totally unique. And these living creatures are around, closest around the throne of God, and they're constantly saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever they praise or give glory or honor or thanks to the one on the throne, you know what happens? The 24 beings, these 24 people, the the elders, they fall off their thrones and they, they fall down before the one on the throne and they, who lives forever and ever and they lay their crowns down before him and they worship him. They, the elders praise him as Lord and God and praise him as the creator of all things. Who is the one on the throne? It's God the Father, maker of all things. Well, John is, is given this look into heaven so that he might be shown what was to come in the future. And while John is taking in all the sights and sounds that are around the throne, he notices a scroll in the right hand of the one on the throne. And this scroll has writing on both sides of it and seven seals on it. I mean, usually you just need one seal on a scroll to seal it and say, don't open it, there's something private in here, but this has seven seals. Uh, and some scholars believe that uh, this implies that this is, is a, a title and deed to the whole earth and everything living in it. It's, it's the, the counsel of God towards men on earth. And, and there's a question that's asked. And that question that's asked is who is worthy to break the seals and open this scroll? But there's no one on heaven. No one in heaven or on earth. There's, there's no one among all the angels who steps forward and says, I'll open it. There's none of those four crazy wild living creatures that says, I'll open it. 
There's no one on earth, living or dead, who steps forward and says, I'll open it. No one is worthy to open this scroll that has the counsel of God in it towards men and is the title and deed to earth and all who live in it. And John starts weeping over this. But then one of the elders says, don't weep. Don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then John takes a look at the throne. I guess he's, he was weeping, pulling the tears out of his eyes, and he looks back up at the throne, and there's no lion there. But there's a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the 24 elders around that. The lamb then takes the scroll from the one on the throne, and at that moment, the four creatures, those four wild creatures and the 24 elders, they all fall down before the lamb and sing of the worthiness of the lamb. And then 100,000 angels or more show up and they begin singing around the throne and singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the creatures say, Amen. And the elders fall down and they worship. I mean, what a scene. What a scene. And in that scene, we're introduced to the one who is the lion and the lamb at the same time. What is this picture of Jesus, and what do these names of Jesus reveal to us about him? Well, the lion of the tribe of Judah is a name that isn't used anywhere else in the New Testament, just once, just once at this moment. It's a name that looks back in the past uh, to a blessing that's given to, uh, from uh, Jacob to his son Judah. And within this blessing is a prophecy. It says this, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. You know what? Judah never ruled. Judah never ruled. But he had descendants that ruled. King David being the first from the tribe of Judah, and then after that, from the descendants of David came Joseph and Mary, who both descended from the tribe of Judah and from David, where, where Jesus' humanity was traced from. And though David never ruled a large kingdom, uh, though he did rule a large kingdom, he never had the obedience of all the nations. That they weren't ever his. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. And, and this is the nature of prophecy. That usually there is something that's said, a person is being spoken to, but what's being said is bigger than that person. It's something that's really being attributed to, to God or what God is going to do. You see it in other passages uh, where prophecy is given. 
You even see it with David when he's going up against to, to fight Goliath, and, and he, he says something about the future, and he says, I, you, know, you come against me with sword and spear, why well, I come against you in the name of the living God, and I'm going to fight you, and I'm going to chop off your head, and the birds of the air, and the fle- they're going to eat your flesh. And, and you know, there's this moment where I think David goes, what did I just say? Because I don't have a sword. How am I going to cut off his head? I just got some rocks and a sling. Oops. That's kind of the nature of prophecy and sometimes how it works. And that's what's happened here. It was not speaking of Judah, but speaking of someone who would come after him, one of his descendants. So the lion. You know, when we, when we talk about lion, we think of our childhood stories. The, the, the lion is the king of what? The jungle, yes. And why is he the king of the jungle? Because he's the top of the food chain. Nobody else is going to eat him. Nobody's going to come after him in the jungle. Okay, I know you're thinking, well, man has a gun. He'll come after him. Okay, exclude him, all right? In the picture, he is the king of the jungle, all right? And the lion is unconquered. He's unequaled in the jungle. Well, here in the scriptures, the lion triumphs. That's what the elder says. No one preys on the lion. But then, in our very next image, the very next thing that John describes is a lamb. A lamb who looks as if he were slain, who's on the throne. A lamb seems so weak compared to a lion. And then a a slain and wounded lamb. Even worse, Strength seems like great, great, great strength, and then really great weakness. What, what is this about? From triumphant lion to slain lamb, yet it's a slain lamb, lamb who takes the scroll no one else can touch. What's up with this? How is Jesus triumphant lion and slain lamb at the same time? Well, towards the devil, he is a lion. And it's toward the world that he's a lamb. We know of someone else who likes to imitate and copycat the Lord. The Lord is known as the Father of lights, and there is an evil one who masquerades as an angel of light. Well, there's also an enemy known to prowl around like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. So against this lion who comes to devour us fights the lion of Judah, and Jesus conquers. He is powerful, and he is triumphant. Just a side note, uh, talking about copycats and imitators and those who come in the name of Christ. There is, uh, you know, some of our friends here in Asheville who uh, use the symbol of the Lion of Judah, and they don't attribute it to Christ. They take that symbol and they attribute it to, um, uh, as a ruler of, of Ethiopia, yeah, from 1930 to 1974. Uh, he died, uh, but he uh, claimed to be uh, God incarnate, and uh, this is where uh, a lot of Rastas uh, hearken and, and point back to uh, the originator of their faith 
And uh, we have a lot of Rastas here in Asheville. Uh, sometimes you'll see them wearing the symbol of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, but, you know, not all Rastas uh, are connected to that history. Some Rastas are just into the lifestyle of it, uh, just like there are churchgoers who wear crosses but would never bear a cross daily and follow Jesus, right? So uh, just, just a note on that and, and just to say that there are imitators, there are copycats, but there's only one true lion of Judah, one lion who conquers, one lion who triumphs, one who still lives to devour death. Then the lamb, you got the lamb who's known for its innocence, John the Baptist is the first who called Jesus this, shouting out, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah prophesied about this Lamb, the suffering servant who was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open up his mouth. Yet it is as the Lamb that Jesus overcame the sin of the world. Jesus endured death like a lamb, then he devoured death like a lion. He is gentle and strong. He's lovable and terrifying. He's innocent and mighty. Silent when he was being judged, yet roaring when he comes to judge. In the passion, the suffering of Jesus Christ, we see lamb and lion. Jesus remained silent and endured, dying the death we deserved. He underwent death without being guilty of any sin. And at the same time, he was a lion, harnessing his great strength to please his father and to lay down his life on that cross instead of calling down 100,000 angels to his aid. Being slayed, he then slayed death, the lion. In the resurrection of Jesus, we see the lamb and the lion too. We see the lamb because his innocence is everlasting. It's something that he can impart to others. We see the lion in the resurrection because his might is everlasting. And he can impart life to those who are dying. But here is the good news in his name of lion and lamb. Who is it that is standing before the worshiping creatures and the 24 elders? We see that the lasting image is the lamb who was slain right at the center of it all next to God and the Father on the throne. What is before God? Not the lion. Instead, the wounds of my Savior are there giving testimony that I have been forgiven and purchased. And around my Savior, a new song is sung. You are worthy, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. You got title and deed to the whole earth. You're worthy of it. It's yours. I'm yours. Because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. There's uh, a story about a Greek poet named Aeschylus. Some of you have maybe read uh, some of his uh, dramas, if you had ancient literature, Western literature, or anything like that. 
And uh, there was a time when uh, Aeschylus, he, he got in trouble with the Athenians. And uh, I, I can't remember why he was in trouble, but he was put on trial. And uh, they were going to, to execute him. They were, gonna, they were that mad at him. And it's probably something he wrote or something he implied about Athenians or something. They were so prideful. And, and anyway, he uh, was there on trial. And uh, Aeschylus, he had an older brother, an older brother who had fought in one of the wars uh, previous, uh, the Battle of Salamis, where uh, the Greeks went to defend themselves against the Persians for, for their very existence. I mean, the Persians were going to wipe them out. And uh, his older brother fought in this battle, and he lost his arm in this battle. And while Aeschylus is there in court being tried, his older brother walks in, doesn't say a word, pulls off his, his tunic, and lets everyone see his, the stump of his arm that's left, and stands there, and then turns around, and he leaves. And then the court decides, all right, we'll let you go. Because of what your brother did for this nation, what he sacrificed, we'll let you go. It, it covers any mistake, any stupid thing you just did. See, the lamb eternally stands for us. And when my sin comes up, he's there to speak to the Father in my defense. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the substitute. He lived the life I should have lived, and he died the death I should have died. And this is why it's significant to put your faith in Jesus instead of putting your faith in your own good deeds list and hoping that good deeds list outweighs your, your bad things list. There is no one worthy to open up the counsel of God and to stand before his judgments written on that scroll. Jesus said that one day his roar, his lion-like voice will go out and will cause all to come out of their graves and there will be a last judgment. And again, he will be the lion and the lamb. But you don't want to face the wrath of the lion, and be condemned. You don't want to meet the lion on that day. But you know what? The only thing that condemns you is not putting your trust in Jesus. There's going to be others who will rise. Some will rise and stand before the lion, but there's going to be others who rise and stand before the lamb. The only good that will stand before God will be those who trust in the goodness of Jesus who trust in the Lamb. Believe him and believe his words and you can cross over from standing in a place of death to standing in a place of life. That's the choice. Today it's put before us once again, life or death, and we choose. Every day we get up, we choose and say, yes, I have put my faith in you, Jesus, and today I stand and I rise and I walk in faith with you. I put my lot in with you. The blood of the lamb keeps us from being condemned. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life is what's given to those who trust in the lamb. The lamb eternally stands for us. Thank God for that. In the next few moments that we're just going to sing uh, we're going to worship
We're going to continue on with our worship, but in this next song, uh, it's a chance for us to respond to the Word of God. We do that at this church from time to time. We, we have moments where you can respond and say, you know what, I, I came in here, someone, not really sure, just investigating, but I'm at this point saying, I think there's something in me that's belief, and I think I need to, I need to ask some questions. I need to talk to God about this. I need to pray somehow. I, I'm, this is the time to respond. I know that there's things that you can do in your mind, in your heart, in your main sitting, in your chair, but sometimes we just need to act physically. We need to do with our bodies what our minds and hearts are saying and doing, and we need to align ourselves all in one thing. And so this is kind of a practice of doing that.